Today begins an impact vision series, and it's called DNA, but the DNA stands for something. And if you've got anything to write down, I want you to, or write with, I want you to write this down. If you don't have a piece of paper or anything, tattoos are big, write it on your arm. And it is a five-week series, and DNA stands for Developing the Needed Attributes. Okay, developing the, you guys are looking at me like deer in the headlight, write it down. Developing the needed attributes for what? I told you the name of our church, so put it together for impact. What do we need to make an impact? I'm going to tell you in this five-week series what our goals are, what our vision is, what we're about, what God's called us to do. But gang, you're going to see and hear a lot of things that are probably familiar to you, and you're going to go, I've heard that at church before, but I've been at churches that teach that, and they're not really making that big of an impact. Well, gang, there's a how, and there's a why, and there's a heart issue. But before anything else, there's a piece of the puzzle that you got to put in place. And if it's not there, you're not going to make an impact. You're not going to do anything for the Lord. As much as you want to, it's just not going to happen. And we want to not just make an impact, we want to make maximum impact. I'll tell you what, with my life, I want to hear well done, good and faithful servant when I stand before the Lord. And that's not going to happen if I kind of have a dud, fizzled life. Or if I've come to know Jesus Christ, and then I go, you know what, I'm saved. That's all that matters. So for all my friends and the people I meet, gee, I hope they find God. No, God left me here on earth, and he left you, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, with a mission to tell others about him that they might become sons and daughters. So I'm pumped because we've kicked it off with worship, and that's going to be the first of the five G's that I'm going to teach you about. Uh, at Impact Church, we're going to know our five purposes as five G's. And so the first one's worship, and you're going, oh, poor Pastor Robbie can't spell because that's a W. No, the G word is glorify. Glorify. So get that down. <clears throat> got to pump it up with that. And if we have any worshipers here, I got to know it. So do we have any worshipers in the house? Let me hear from you. Wow. Wow. Seriously, on three. One, two, three. Do we have any worshipers in the house? All right. Here's the deal. I know you people, so I know that wasn't going to be everybody. And I get it. I still see people sitting back there kind of like, I'll let you know in about a half hour or so if I'm a worshiper, Pastor Rob. Well, then you don't know me because I go at least 45 minutes. So you will not let me know in a half hour. You might let me know in 45 minutes. So I'm going to let that aside. That wasn't everybody. And believe it or not, that's a problem. The fact that it wasn't everybody is actually a big problem. I'm going to leave that hanging. I want you to think about that because I'm going to come back to it. Uh, I'm going to let you wrestle with it a little. We'll come back to it later. This is a series defining the who and what is Impact Church. How many people know, how many of you know, and listen, if you've been with me for a long time, then don't answer this, but raise your hand if you know how many churches more or less are in and around Charlotte. Wow, nobody knows? No, it's not blah, blah, blah. It's, remember what I do sometimes? How many of you have been here more than two weeks? Raise your hand. Okay, then you know I walk among you, and if you don't answer me, I'll sit on your lap or do other obnoxious things, and I'll get you to answer. I like feedback. Gang, there's almost 1,000 churches within about a 45-minute drive, in or around the, you know, what you call it, downtown or uptown. I don't know who won the boat, but around Charlotte. That's a lot of churches. And so just to throw up a building or even to meet in a school, in fact, we had to call, get a hold of 14 schools before we could find this one. You know, before we could find an empty gymnasium that didn't have a church meeting yet. So won't necessarily need another church. But I'm curious. See, Jesus built his life and camped out 24-7 with 12 guys. One of them doesn't count because it's Judas. So you got 11 guys, throw in Paul, it's back up to 12, the Apostle Paul, and the world changed through 12 men. Okay, if 12 people can change the face of the earth, then how come a 1,000 churches can't 
make much of a dent. Charlotte is the most churched city in America. So I would expect the impact not to be so much a mile wide and an inch deep, but to be a mile deep, you know, everywhere you stand. I would expect this one city to explode the earth with the gospel. But that's not happening, and so that's part of the reason why we started Impact Church. We're going to talk about one of the possibilities of why it's not happening today, because there's this foundation, there's this groundwork that's got to be there, and if it's not there, it's just not going to happen. Now listen, it's a well-established fact that people uh, who are near death are going to talk about the thing that is most important to them. Doesn't that make sense? If you're you're in a hospital, you're going off to war, things like that, the last words that you say to somebody um, are probably going to be what matters most to your heart. I mean, I haven't seen too many people that are, you know, and I've visited people in the hospital, and and I'm not trying to, to make light of it, I'm really not, but I haven't seen people who are terminally ill and who have been given that, you know, you've got a couple weeks who can still talk and communicate, and their loved ones are in there, and they're going, well, don't bring them in. I want to make sure my hair looks all right. They just, right? They don't care about that anymore, do they? In fact, I've seen this a lot. You know, if they can barely talk, whatever, they're, they motion, don't they? Come close. I, I have something to tell you. It's almost a desperation to get out. All of a sudden, everything that's urgent, all of a sudden, everything that matters in life, they want to talk about, right? Why? Well, they don't have much time, right? And all of a sudden, why is it that we have to know that our time is running out before we start living? Why is it we got to know that we're dying before we start living? Well, Jesus had this moment in his life uh, at least two times where it's, uni- it's unique to us. It's sort of knowing you're dying. Some of you are going, you can't really have that twice. Well, he did. He had it twice. And he knew right down to the second, right down to the moment that he was going to die. But think about it. Jesus had this. And what he shared right before those moments, we're going to talk about one of them today, was obviously among the most important things that he would ever share. What was unique to his is that we don't know, right? I mean, if you are a a patient in the hospital, you might know it's somewhere out there, but we're not given something that says on this date, at this time, you're going to die. And if we were given that, we'd probably live different, wouldn't we? Wouldn't you live different if, I mean, what if the date was January 28th, and you're sitting there right now, and in your head you just know, oh, it's, mine is January 28th. Would you just sit here and be thinking about where you're going to go out to lunch afterwards? And, and you'd probably be urgent about everything, right? Well, Jesus knew this. He knew right down to the second when his departure would be, and he knew twice. That's what makes it unique. One was the night before he was betrayed, and he's in the upper room. And one of the lessons, and we're not going to talk about that today, but I want you to know this. Just hours before he went to the cross and died physically and gave his life for our sins, he gave the lesson to his disciples that you must serve. Right? This means I I remember that lesson, Pastor Rob. This means, "Eh, I never heard that. Who's Jesus? So we got to back up and go a long way if you're back that way. But he, he actually took a towel and he washed their feet, which was the lowest job you could possibly do in that time. And he said, if I, and this time they were starting to figure out that he was more than a man, that he was God. And he said, if I, God, can do this, then get it through your head. This is how you reach people. Serve. Serve. And so that was a very important thing. After that, he went to the garden. He was betrayed. He went to the cross. So those are some of his very last words. So when do you think the, last, the second time was his last words? What else would he have shared? Great, time's up. So turn to Matthew 28. I'm mean. I don't give you much time. I want you guys to be right on it. Matthew 28. New Testament, first book, Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20. And you'll see the second time when Jesus was basically not going to die, but knew he was leaving and that's it. Like going off the ward. I'm not coming back. I could. Here's what it is. He's going to ascend into heaven. 
He's already raised from the grave. He's in his heavenly body that is both, you know, he's both 100% man and 100% God, the God-man people call him, and he's about to ascend up into the clouds, and this is a part of what he said, his last word, so it must be important. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. And then, well, don't take my word for it. If you were to go to Mark, and don't turn there, but if you were to go to Mark 16, 19, it tells us what happened. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God the Father. So that's it. He said this and does that whole floating thing, which is pretty cool. But if you don't believe that, look at Acts 1, 8, and 9. Says it again. But you will receive power. This is Luke writing. Luke who wrote the gospel of, see how sharp you are. Luke wrote Acts. He also wrote the gospel of, yeah, see, it's pretty easy. He has his name on it. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Okay, that every saved person, this is why he leaves you on earth. Because you'll get the power of the Holy Spirit living inside you, and now you should be witnesses. Now, here's what I want you to get. And in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and in a cloud, and a cloud hid them from his sight. So that's what happened. Jesus is gone. Those were his last words. So they're important. Must be powerful marching orders because they were the last thing he said. Another unique ability to Jesus was the ability to look right into the soul of a person. Scripture tells us that when Jesus was interacting with people, when he was talking to them, no matter what little little way you try to snow people, and you do it, and I do it. Sometimes when you meet new people, don't you kind of tell them the best stuff about yourself? Okay, raise your hand if you're married. Let's just get the truth out right now. Guys, keep your hands up, the married guys. Okay, now the wives of those guys, let's see you. That means guys' hands down, girls' hands up, who you were married to. All right, didn't he do this to you? When you guys were dating, didn't he put his best foot forward? And you're, look, look at him now, look at that guy if he's here. All right, is, is that what he sold you? <laughs> I mean, you're sitting there going, yeah, that's right, he lied to me. Look, what happened? Said he would always work out. I mean, all this stuff, you know. We were going to be million. No, I'm not going to go too far from that. But we put our best foot forward. We say the things that, you know, we say to want to impress people. Well, Jesus had the idea to hear that and I think kind of in his mind go, yada, yada, yada. Listen, here's what's really going on in your mind. Here's what's really it's all about. I'm going to give you a couple examples so you know what I'm talking about. One is, he's talking to a Samaritan woman. The Samaritans were hated, and this was a hated woman of the Samaritans because she'd lived with five guys. She's basically a prostitute. Now she's, where she lived with four guys, she's on her fifth guy, and Jesus knew all this about her, and she starts talking about worship with the Son of God, and he looks right in her soul, and he's trying to, his, his biggest concern for her is that she would actually know God. And would go to heaven. And her life was miserable. People hated her. And so Jesus looked right through to all the talk that she was saying and said, here's your real problem. You come here every day to the well. She's sometimes called the woman of the well. You come every day to the well and you draw water. How would you like living water? How would you like water that you never have to drink again? And what was he, what was he doing? He was using the water that she drew every day, some common thing that he saw to say that you don't have to fight anymore. You don't have to struggle anymore. You know what, I can give you relief in your heart, not, your phys- not physical water, but I can give you healing, and you'll never have to draw again. You'll be saved. You'll be healed in your soul. So he knows what's going on. There was another one. One of the smartest people, the religious leaders, um, was a man by the name of Nicodemus. And Jesus spoke to this religious, brilliant leader who was supposed to be the guy that the common people went to for advice about, hey, how do we get to heaven? How do I get to God? They would go to Nicodemus. The problem was Nicodemus didn't know. So one night, if you were to look at John 3, you'll see that at night, Nicodemus came to Jesus and basically said, I'm in trouble here, Jesus. 
I know you're a good man and you're from God, but I'm going to cut to the quick of it. And he's trying to be brilliant and show Jesus how smart he is. But between you and me and you're good, I have a little trouble. I'm not positive how to tell people how to get to heaven. I've got to, Jesus cut right through it. And he said, you've got to become a baby. You've got to be born again. So you know what he's doing to this intellectual, this Einstein of religion? You know what he's doing? He's talking to him like a third grader. He's talking to him like a third grader. And I want you to know something. He is not being condescending. But he's doing this to say, Nicodemus, you know what you have lost? You, you are trying to have a battle of wits with God. You're overcooking this thing. You're overthinking this thing. You're, you are taking what I came to make simple, and you're overcomplicating it. You know what you need to do? Go way back. Be born again. Be renewed. Be restored. For you, you're too intellectual. It's in the heart. So what did he do? Nicodemus trying to impress him, and Jesus cut right to the quick. Another one happened when a man who the Bible does not name but describes only as, you might have heard of this guy, the rich young ruler. Can I tell you what we would call him? We would call him the healthy, wealthy, prosperous guy. That's what we would call him, rich, young, ruler, healthy, wealthy, prosperous guy. He came to Jesus to get a nervous confirmation that he was going to heaven. I'm going to cut to the quick on this one too, okay? He is young, so obviously he's healthy. He was rich, the Bible called him, so obviously he's wealthy. He was a ruler, so obviously he's popular and prosperous. And he was a good guy, and he's well thought of because he's popular and prosperous. So he came to Jesus pretty cocky and basically said, Jesus, I'm going to tell you what was in his heart. I know I'm going to heaven, but I'm not positive. So in front of all my friends here, could you just reassure them that I'm as cool as I think I am? And so he's, that's the Rob Singleton version. You won't find that in your Bibles. Look hard, but it's not there. But here's what's going on there. Jesus, again, looked right into his heart and said, do you keep all the commandments? Well, that's a strange thing to ask, isn't it? Because Jesus never said you've got to keep 100% of the law to be saved. In fact, he said many times that you can't do that. Don't even try. You can't keep the law. But for this guy, he goes, well, you've got to keep the law, all of it. Have you done that? And what's this guy say? Yep. Here's what I would have said if I was standing there. Liar, come on, I know you, man. You don't even keep it for a day. But he actually stands before Jesus and says, yep, kept it all. And Jesus starts naming a few. Done that, been there, done, yeah, I keep it all. But he said, since I was young. So you know what I think? I think he was a pretty good guy. And I think he probably kept most of it. But again, here's what happens. Jesus looking at his eyes and goes right through, right to the heart, right to the soul, and says one of the weirdest, strangest, what some people would say is most unbiblical things that he ever said. So he's saying to this, this rich young ruler, and as I look into your heart, you have another God. You know the problem is? You think you've kept the commandments. Let's just cut through all that. You don't keep the commandments, and I know it. But he didn't say it like that, did he? He goes, okay, when we're real good. Oh, one more thing. Go sell everything you've got, give it to the poor, and come follow me. Conversation over, huh? I mean, we're done. What does Scripture say about him? And he said, remember, he's a pretty good guy. Scripture says he hung his head and just kind of walked away sad and distressed. What's another way of looking at that? He picked. He chose, didn't he? What, why are you going to hang your head and walk away? Here's your opportunity for eternal life. Here's the question you've always wanted to know. Why don't you say, well, who cares about that? I'm in, right? Yeah. If you do. Did he, by the way, do you have to sell everything you own and follow Jesus? He did. Some of you are going, well, I expect you to say no. I've heard you preach this before, Pastor. You said no before. I ah, changed. <laughs> you, know, you know why I'm saying he did? Because his God was his stuff, and it, was, it had a hold of him. And so for him, Jesus couldn't sit on the throne of his heart until he let go of that. 
it ran the risk of being his God for the rest of his life. That doesn't mean that good health or good wealth or good looks, muscles, prosperity is, gonna, is bad. Otherwise, I wouldn't have all that. So it wouldn't, you know, it's a joke, right? You're getting him. It doesn't mean that any of that's bad. Some people teach, you know what, there's a poverty theology and some people teach that you have to be poor to come to God. That's not in here. There's a prosperity theology that says you can only be blessed and truly saved if you're prosperous. That's not in here. So Jesus didn't say either. Jesus didn't say that to this guy. What he did say is, you know what, I just look at you and I figure out you, you worship something else. If your life stays the same, you will never worship me. And you can only have one God on the throne of your heart. Let's keep going because there's one more and this stands apart from all the others uh, because they're personally customized to the person that came up to Jesus. Did you see that? The Samaritan woman and Nicodemus, all the person. But this one is for all of us. So listen up. This is for everybody sitting in here. This is for me. This is for you. And that was his, his encounter with a smart aleck young lawyer seeking to trap Jesus with his own words. He wanted to get Jesus to say something so he could look around and go, look, this guy's a fraud. Instead, he got an answer for billions throughout the ages. Everyone who's ever lived, everyone alive now, and everyone who ever lived, this is for you. And one of them, one of the Pharisees, one of the teachers, a lawyer, asked him a question. This is Matthew 22, 35 through 40. And the question was to test him. So how do I know that he's a smart aleck? Because it says so right here. He's not asking him because he wants to know. He's testing Jesus. He's trying to trap Jesus. Teacher, what's the great commandment in the law? What's the greatest? And God said to him, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. So there's 613 commandments in the Bible and in the Jewish law. I just gave you the most important one. So if some of you have memory problems, just remember this one. It's all you need to remember. It really is. It's really all you need to remember. And if you think there's a little more, Jesus will throw in one more. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Honestly, if you just remember those two, oh, guess what? I just gave you two of the five G's. Oh, I'm, I'm taking notes, Pastor. I missed it. Tough. I just gave you two. I'll give it. It was right in there. It was right in that scripture. I'll give you one of them. Glorify was right in there. So this commandment is known as the great commandment, and it's twofold. I'm going to make it as simple as I can. Love God, love others. That's it. If you were to ask me what the most important thing you can do with your life is love God, love others. That's the most simple I can make it. Today I want to talk about how we show God, primarily the biggest way that we show God that we love Him. Parents, where are you? Okay, do you want your kids just to, to ask you for things, or do you want to know that they love you? I don't mean I get asked for a show of hands. You want to know they love you, right? You want to know that they love you. God wants to know, and He does. I mean, He knows all things, but He wants you to truly love Him, not treat Him like a heavenly vending machine. You know, every time you pray, you just ask Him for things. Hey, God, I messed this up by sinning, so would you straighten it out for me? Hey, God, they're all blessed, and could you bless me like that? And just ask Him for things like that and treat Him like He's a genie. In a he doesn't want that. He wants a relationship. Part of that is He wants to know, and He wants you to learn to love Him. So what's the number one way that we can show that we love Him? Let me get back to that concern I had when I opened up. Remember when I said, one, two, three, show me your worship stuff, and you guys were kind of anemic? You don't remember that? It's only like 20 minutes ago. Some of you are like, it was 25, Pastor. Let's, come on, pick it up a little bit. No, it was, well, here's why. Because everybody on the face of the earth who has ever lived, you guys who are alive now, and everybody who will ever live till the Lord returns is a worshiper. Everyone. 
And I know some of you are thinking right now, my, my friend Frank, <laughs> no, he's not a worshiper. I promise you he's not. Yes, he is. I'm going to prove it in a moment. Some of you are going, everyone, not everyone. I know people. I know five people. There's no way that everyone alive, everyone has ever lived. Well, I'm going to roll. Let me say this. Billy Graham's a worshiper. <gasps> That's no shock. Some of you are going, That's easy. Mother Teresa was a worshiper. Actually still is in heaven. A worshiper. Don't roll your eyes. Some of you actually rolled your eyes. I like that. You think I can't see you. There's enough light. I can see you roll your eyes at me. Okay, those are the easy ones. Those are the no-brainers, all right? Billy Joel. Who's under 30? Raise your hand if you're under 30. I can see you there. Real high, under 30. Okay. Billy Joel was a musician, musician, not a magician, musician, plays a piano. You guys, you don't remember him, but trust me, he, he was big. Married to Christy Brinkley at one point. Is that, some of you guys are going, yeah, okay, you remember that. All right. He said, I wasn't raised Catholic, but I used to go to Mass with my friends, and I viewed the whole business as a lot of very enthralling hocus-pocus. It's a quote, by the way. There's a guy hanging up on a wall in the church, nailed to a cross and dripping blood, and everybody's blaming themselves for that man's torment. But I said to myself, forget it. I had no hand in that evil. I have no original sin. There's no blood of any sacred martyr on my hands. I pass on all of this. That Billy Joel is a worshiper. He just said he's not. He is. I don't care what he said. He's a worshiper. Hold all tomatoes and eggs. I'm mean, going to get worse. Gloria Steinem, who said, by the year 2000, so obviously she said this a while back, by the year 2000, we will, I hope, raise our children to believe in human potential, not God. That Gloria is a worshiper. She's a worshiper. Charles Darwin. Are we getting better now? I'm going to keep on going until you freak out and actually call the police on me. And there's a police officer in here. I saw him, so it won't it'll be easy. Raise your hand. Where are you? So you don't even have to call. Just tap him if it gets real ugly. He'll come take me away. Charles Darwin, the father of evolutionary theory, was a worshiper. Was? Yeah, he's dead. He's not alive anymore. Here he is. Madeline Marie O'Hare. Anybody know who she is? Was? She was the mother of the American atheist movement, basically. The one who got prayer kicked out of school, Barbara kicked out of school. She's got that proud thing going for her. She challenged prayer. She said this, um, do you support re religious freedom, she was asked. She responded, oh, absolutely. I feel that everyone has a right to be insane. There's more. And that they can do this any place at all. If they want religious schools, build them. My only problem with that is do not ask for the land to be tax-free. Do not ask for a government grant to build them. Do not ask for money for teacher salaries or more books or anything else. Just go ahead and do your thing and do it yourself. Just exactly the same as if you were a nudist. I don't know how that fits. But that's her mind. Somebody doesn't get a tax break for being a mason or whatever they're interested in. Though she is the most famous, famous atheist, probably whoever lived. She's a worshiper. She was a worshiper. And last but not least, because I see that some of you are not with me. Hitler was a worshiper. I don't know how much further I can go. That's like the bottom of the barrel, but he was a worshiper. And trust me, some of you needed that last name to get this through your head because you're not with You needed that. Absolutely, positively, he was a worshiper. I figure about three minutes to explain this before you guys just check out. So here it is. How in the world do I make the statement that everyone, everywhere, at all times is a worshiper? Well, it's really actually pretty easy. It's one piece of DNA that God has wired into every single human being. It's there. You're born with it. 
And I don't care if you say there's no God. God said he put it. He put eternity in the heart of every man, woman, and child. He put it in you. He put it in me. He put it in Billy Graham. That's easy. He put it in Billy Joel. He put it in everyone. Since the fall, since the very beginning, we just messed it up. We still worship. We just don't know who and how anymore. That's what's happened. So you may not consider yourself a worshiper or a worshiper kind of person or a kickback or hands in the pockets or I don't express, but you worship. Everybody worships. Look up here. Everybody worships something. That's the key. Everybody worships something. Never met anybody in my life who doesn't worship something. Should you choose for some reason not to give that worship to the God alone who deserves it, then what you do is you will shift it to something else. That's all. You'll just shift it to something or someone else, and then you'll start worshiping that or them. But you will worship. Ever hear this in church? Ever say this? No, don't raise your hand because I'll get the police on you. So here it is. I can't worship to this. Don't raise your hand. Ever think that? Ever say that? Ever hear anybody else say that? You're in church. I can't worship to this. I miss the hymns. Raise your hand if you're over 40. Just wanted to see you. Okay. Just wonder if you ever heard that or said it. Raise your hand if you're over 50. Somebody like, stop, Pastor. Knock it off. All right. We, we wanted to identify ourselves. We'd write it on our forehead. All right. Just knock it off. I can't worship this. I miss the hymns. Why can't we sing more 91.9? By the way, I will slap you if you say that. that one, that's the only one. I wish we wouldn't do these songs. Ever heard that? I wish we would sing more of Chris Tomlin. I'll probably slap you if you say that too. I like Hillsong, yada, yada, yada. I can't worship like this. I'm not getting anything out of this. What's the key word in all of that? I. That's a really dangerous word there. When I hear people talking like that, I start looking for the crown on their head or the scepter in their hand. I'm going, obviously, you're the king of kings, and you're the Lord of lords. Because you're talking about all this stuff in connection to worship, and you're using the word I, so I guess we should be worshiping you. And by the way, I include myself in this because I've made statements like that. As though I come before the throne room of God. And that's what Will was doing this morning. Trying to lead us to the throne room of God is actually what we do. Did you know he wasn't giving a concert? Somebody like, oh, okay, three of you did. I thought it was a concert. Well, I had to pay money up front. That's offering. That's different. And that actually comes at the end. So if you paid up front, you got taken. I don't know who that was who <laughs> took your money. But it's not a concert. It's a man or a woman or a group trying to lead you into the presence of God and prepare your hearts and celebrate with your hearts and inspire your hearts to hear the Word of God. It's all for a purpose. So when I hear people talking like that, I start looking for that going because you come to give worship, not to say all the conditions and the temperature and the humidity and the music and the sound and the level has to be just right or I can't worship. Something's wrong. And you might be going, okay, yeah, Pastor, I'll work on that attitude. We'll work real hard because everything we're going to talk about in this whole series is dead if you don't get this right. If you don't get this right. Worship is actually about, please just listen to these words. This is what worship's actually about. It's about bowing our hearts to one who is greater than us. It's about the creator, or the creation acknowledging the creator. It's about the submission of all of our nature to God, of gladly reflecting back to God the radiance of his worth, not ours, of expressing this feeling of God's value and greatness, a response of the believer to his grace, to his love, to his mercy, to his forgiveness. That begins, just begins, to describe what worship's all about. And when you go to churches, you think, wow, I've never seen anything like that. John Piper, one of the greatest ministers, still alive, said, worship is basically adoration. 
and we adore only what delights us. Is that true? No, I adore what I hate. No, you don't. You adore what delights you. Would you get excited about Man, I love that. Okay, I never said that about mushy asparagus growing up. I love that. I don't. I hate it. You can't get me to adore that. Don't serve it to me. I will not like you if you do that. I don't adore. You only adore what you delight in. That should be obvious, but I think it's not. There's no such thing as sad adoration. Let me let that sink in. Think about it. Is there? Adoration and praise and worship. Is there such a thing as depressed, sad adoration? There really isn't. They don't go together. They can't. That doesn't mean you can't come into the presence of the Lord sad, but you can still worship sad. But sad adoration, something has to change before there can be adoration. There's no such thing as unhappy praise. Let me let that sink in. Think about it. Something changes. Your hands are up. You're praising God. Can you? Do, is there unhappy praise? Once it's transformed into praise, there's joy. That's part of the transformation. So I'm just saying that when we have the attitude of complaining because all the conditions aren't right for us to be rewarded because, after all, we did show up for church, that's not worship. Not only that, it's dangerous attitude, but I'm going to help you with it. And I promise you, before you walk out of here today, if you do not know what worship is and you do not know how to do it, it's going to be your fault. It's not very nice, Pastor Rob. Don't care. It's going to be your fault if you walk out and you don't know that. So let me say something and get your thoughts on this. When it comes to worship and all, where does the buck stop, you think? Thoughts is plural. That means somebody. What? Where does it stop? With who? Where where does the buck stop with worship? You might think so. And so did I. I really did, but I don't anymore. Can I explain that? I mean, I think that's the the natural answer. The buck stops with me. It's my... Not really. You might think the buck stops with the surrounding conditions. That's where it stops. They weren't right, so no. We'll stop there. It might, the buck stops with the sermon. No, thank goodness. Buck stops with the music. No, not really. Stops with the pastor, the worship head. No, not really. Maybe this will help. Worship doesn't start with us. I recently read, read one definition of worship that really explains this well. Worship is our response to God. In other words, we don't initiate worship. God does. Listen to this. He reveals himself and we respond. He discloses and we respond. He unveils and we respond. He chooses to show us how amazing He is and we say, God, you're amazing. That should be the pattern of what's going on. Our whole relationship with God works the same way. He loves and you love in return. I mean, some of you probably thinking, you'd be thinking incorrectly, God loves me because I loved Him. I found God and I love Him so much. No, we love because He first loved us. That's it, period. You are responding to God. Because he loved you and forgave you and showed his grace and mercy. You don't go out there because you're so great and just go, you know what, God, I discovered you. And I'm going to, the buck doesn't stop with you. You're responding. He calls. We answer. He leads. Hopefully, we follow. That's how worship takes place. It's natural. We were made to worship. All of us. The Bible says, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, all you nations, come and worship him. That doesn't exclude the Jews. That means everybody. In fact, it all started with the Jews. So some of you come from places, I know, some of you have been to churches where you've seen real worship, but I bet most of you have been to a lot of churches where you haven't. Maybe you've been to churches where you see a concert. 
Maybe you've been to churches where it's just dead. And I want to ask you about that. I really, you know, and I think as a church, right now this whole series is about building in the right DNA. I want us to learn to be worshipers. That's going to be part of our DNA. Man, we got to loosen up a little bit. We really do. Some of you are going, that's not my style. I'm gonna, in fact, we had something I wasn't planning on sharing, but I had it just in case. Some of you men, here's a lot of men, how they worship. Forget the singing, the hands are in the pocket. If you had handcuffs, you'd be wearing them for worship. Can somebody please tell I don't even want to have the threat of raising my hand. And it, after about two years at a church that's full of worship, you might get to this. You know, in about a decade, you might be, you know, at this, and before the day, I, it, when's, what's it going to take for you to be shouting out to God and lifting your hands in worship? And some of you are thinking, well, you know, that's not my style. I can't do that. I don't lift my hands for anything. I don't, I mean, even God, I'm loving Him, and, and I'm praising Him, and I'm really full of joy. It's just on the inside. I don't show it much on the outside. So I want to show you, you, you will raise your hand. There are conditions we can set up where everybody will get their, their hands up. In fact, um, let's, let's go with the pictures. Can we go with those first? Let me show you this. Lady Gaga, I believe it is. I see a lot of hands up. Now, granted, she's conservative and a pretty nice gal. <laughs> but um, she told everybody there in that concert, she's like, put your hands up. And what do they do? No, I ain't doing nothing. No, I ain't. no their hands are up. Next. Because it gets worse. Who's that nice fella? Can you see him? He's a guy I met in school. I used to hang out with him. We do Bible studies together. Marilyn Manson. No, he didn't. I don't know. I hope I never meet that guy. But I, I saw a video one, once of one of his concerts, and he told everybody to put their hands up. And he said, not only, but this is a sign of Satan, right? I'm not going to do that. He's a, he's a sign of Satan, right? He told everybody, every kid, every young person, every single one to give their allegiance to Satan in a concert and put their hand up. And I looked at it, I watched that video. I could not find one hand down. You know how serious that is? That lunatic, that filth tells you to put your hands up. And why do you do it? I did it for Marilyn Manson. Really? What is he or she or it? What is that thing? You did it for that? I'm just, I'm just saying, hey, it gets worse. Some of you are getting uncomfortable. I love that. I love watching you squirm. So let's look at the next one. This will really get to you because they're like five and six years old. What are they doing? It's an old picture of a time long past. What is it? They're learning something from their wonderful teacher there in school. Back in the early 1940s, late 1930s, they're learning to put their hands up to Hitler, little children. And why are they doing it? Because she said to. Because she said to. You know the Psalms say over and over again, lift up holy hands to the Lord. And some of us are going, well, that's not my style. That's not really, I mean, I really can't. The, the God of the universe says to do it. I don't think he said, if that's your style. He just said, I am, a, I am God, lift up holy hands. And we go, that's more of a charismatic thing. Pastor, are we charismatic? We're, we're non-denominational. That means there's got to be charismatics in here. Where are you? Yeah. Well, that's the first I've heard from you. Okay, so don't act all, you know, like you've been there all along. Although, if you can do that, start doing it, man. Help the rest of us out. Any Southern Baptist who grew up baptizing pickle or prune juice, where are you at? There's two former Southern Baptists in here, please. Liars. All right, come on. Who, was, who grew up Southern Baptist at all? Hands up. Wow, it went from two to 30. 
What is it in that pause that makes truth tellers out of liars? Let's, let's keep moving on. So we know, gang, all of us, we know how to be worshipers. It's in us. So please, please don't tell me that you don't know how to worship. And, and, and gang, those were, those were bad things. I, I admit it. And, and so some of you, maybe I tell you a lesson like that and you just go, well, the, the thing is, I, I don't respond to evil people like that, I, but I'm still, I'm just a calm worship on the inside guy. Uh, Pastor, you'll never see me do that. Never? What about if I followed you to a Panthers game? Would I, would I see you do it? I mean, not this year or last year or the year before, but at another, <laughs> but, well, like the last few games, I would maybe I'd see do that. But what if I, my goodness, anybody from North, anybody from uh, Green Bay, Any, up in that area, anybody? I see one hand. You're, you're great. You will regret you raise your hand. But, so Kendall, you from Green Bay? But you're married. Oh, so that was before, Okay. One of your other wives? What was that? Is this a Mormon thing? Okay, no. Well, up there, anybody seen Great Bay fans? 20 degrees, no shirt, stuff painted all over them, cheese on their head? Okay. There's a lot of hats I could wear. That would not, never be one of them. And if it's 20 degrees, I would not say, frostbite, come and take me because I love my team like that. But if I, in fact, take a look at this. And I'll show you. You worship in some setting. You'll put your hands up. said, put your hands up. Did you get that? It was really fast. <laughs> Mine was a little bit better. And what did they do? I, I'm going to put my hands up. Is that what you just saw? Everybody put your hands up. No. Have you ever been to a concert where go, everybody put your hands up there and wave your hands in the air like you just don't care? And I'm thinking if, I, if you just don't care, then keep them down. <laughs> don't put them up. But, but you are putting them around and you're waving around. Everybody, I've never gone to a concert Actually, I've never gone to a concert like that. But I've never gone or seen a concert like that where people put their hands down. Why? He just asked you to. That's all. And there's some pretty shady characters out there, some pretty God-defying, filth-spewing, and that's not what this is about. You know, rock stars or pop stars or hip-hop artists that'll tell your kids, put their hands up, and it's up like that. Just like the Hitler Youth, Right? And then we come and we worship, and God says all through his word, I alone am worthy of that worship, and we can't get him up. Now, look, please don't hear me. This is really not a sermon about, okay, so where it all starts is raising our hands. No. Where it all starts is taking everything off the throne of your heart but God. If we can do that as a church, 12 people change the world, imagine what hundreds could do if they dethroned everything else but God and started with the G of glorify. Now, I'm going to glorify and worship, but... God alone is worthy of that worship. I will only give it to him. But we'd rather worship icons like Jay-Z, Adele, Chris Brown, Bruno Mars, any of these, even One Direction, which I can't understand at all. 
Why anybody want to do that? But people, you, you know, you watch things on TV, people practically have a heart attack when those five boys, I think there's five of them, show up. Or, if, you know, God forbid they acknowledge you or look at you. And, it, and I watch the way people respond. I go, yeah, you may not know that, but that's worship. And you might even be a conservative person, but you transform when they're there. Would you do that in church? Would you do that with God? And, and I promise you, gang, I'm preaching to myself as well. Each star, each pop icon, whatever, at the height of their career has millions of fans thinking of little else but them all week or all month long, sometimes all year long. By the time a concert rolls around, they are ready. I promise you, they are ready for worship, right? That's all they think about. Man, I can't wait. I got tickets for this. And then a concert's there. It's a worship service. I'm ready to worship. And they come prepared to worship. Essentially, their entire life has been preparing them for it. How sad. Imagine what would happen if each one of us and every Christian in a, just a given congregation was seeking the face of God throughout the week. Not just at church, but throughout the week. Some would encounter sorrow, others major happiness, but all would have a story to tell of God's faithfulness in good times and bad, and they would, they would be transformed from within, and their face and their countenance would show it. Instead, we don't see that. Instead, we see the right patterns but the wrong focus. So let me show that. That's called passing the buck if you're taking notes. Passing the buck is usually a bad idea. When it comes to worship, it's, it's tragedy. Some of you might be thinking, wow, Pastor Rob, I, you know, you said this stuff, and I think about that, and I've been to concerts, but I'm sure glad that I don't worship One Direction. In fact, I don't even go to their concerts. I mean, I've been to a few concerts in my life, but I don't act like that, and I don't worship like that, and... Again, I would say, what would happen? Men, primarily I'm talking to you because I don't know why men have this problem more. And you say, that's not my style, that's just not me, but I promise you I'm a worshiper and I have passion for Christ and all this. My style is just inside. What if somebody was hired to follow you around everything you did, everywhere you went? Are you telling me there's nothing in your life that you don't get excited about? That you never watch TV and, I don't know, see a field goal or see a play or see something and jump up and go, Woo, no, nothing, nothing. When you wanted to date that girl a long time ago and she actually said yes for some reason, you, woo, woo, nothing. You went, cool, man, that's all. I'm glad you're, I mean, did you react at all? I've really never met, I mean, I've, I, I can't think of a person. That if you were to follow them around everywhere, it doesn't have something in their life that gets them excited. I'm saying that probably that thing that, what did John Piper say? That thing you adore, that's what you, that's what you delight in. It's there. All we're trying to do is re redirect that. You want that joy in your life that God talks about? We're just trying, you want that abundant life that Jesus talked about in John 10.10? 10? Then you're going to have to redirect that. I promise you, even if you're conservative, gang, it's there. It's there. Romans 1, 21 will prove it. Everybody knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. Sound like the world we live in? As a result, their minds became dark and confused. So here's what Paul's saying, he wrote to the Romans. Nobody can say that they don't know how to worship. Nobody can say, well, I didn't know God or I don't believe in God. You can say it actually, but nobody can say it in reality and mean it in their gut, in their heart. Nobody, including Madeline Murray O'Hara when she was alive. Apostle Paul is actually saying, no, somewhere deep down, she's been burned, she's been hurt, but she 
She knows. Because you can't look outside at creation and not know. How many of you ever look at a masterpiece or a painting and go, man, that's one unbelievable random accident? I mean, if you were to go look at a, what's a good painting? Somebody give me one. The Mona Lisa. I mean, would you look at that and think somebody spilled grape juice on a, on a canvas? Would you? Would you? Wow, I can't imagine. A lot of different colors were spilled, and that's amazing how they, you know, nobody would, right? That's an incredible painting. Must have been an incredible painter. Look, God's saying, all that Paul's saying is look around at the earth, and it's much more complicated. Look at your body and how it functions. It's much more complicated than a painting. So you say, look at creation. And Paul says, look at creation, and you know there's a creator. Everybody knows. A two-year-old knows. A three-year-old knows. You know. You may grow cynical and walk away from God, but you know you're a worshiper. You were made to worship, but you rebel. And part of rebellion, at the heart of rebellion, is you are giving your worship away to something or someone else. And when you come to Christ, it's giving it back. You understand? He gave his life for you and you learn to give it back. Now, when you're a believer, that doesn't mean that you permanently link up and you're constantly worshiping, right? We have to focus on this. We have to recommit. We have to take up our cross every day and focus on Christ. Otherwise, it's very, very easy to worship something else. What do I talk about almost every week here? And not because we're after your money, but what's the number one uh, competition for your worship? What is it? It's your stuff. It's money. And when times are hard, like, like right now, it's even more of a, of a competition for your heart. You sit there and go, I need to do that. I need, I need. And that's not trusting the God of the universe to provide for you. So you see how easy it is to get off track? I know you want that joy. I know you want that abundant life. I know you want to, I know, I hope you're at this church because you want to be a part of a movement that's going to make an impact. I hope that's why you're here. And if you're just visiting, I hope that's what you want to do with your life. We plan on doing that as a church, but that won't happen if any of us are giving our worship to anything or anybody else but God. Let me put it this way. If you're not worshiping God at the center of your life, your, your life is 100% wasted. Uh, you don't know me, Pastor Rob. I am the CEO of Bank of America. Well, good. I hope we get you here and tithe and everything. But listen, <laughs> here's the deal. Thomas Edison, pretty good inventor, you think? If he didn't know Jesus Christ, waste. Waste of it. If he didn't worship God, his life was a waste. Albert Einstein, pretty sharp. Yeah, that's all right. Same thing. Waste if he did not worship the Creator. Michelangelo, waste if he did not worship God. Paris Hilton, waste no matter what. No, <laughs> if she does not worship God. Does that mean that we cannot appreciate anything else? Love anything else? No, that's not what God is saying. You just can't worship anything else. Man, I love my wife. I adore my wife. I don't worship her. She doesn't want my worship. She doesn't worship me at all. You would absolutely <laughs> never make that mistake. No, but I know that she loves me. I know she loves me. I don't want her to worship me. I don't. In fact, don't ever put a pastor on a pedestal and think he's God. It leads to all kinds of trouble. One being deserves your worship, period, period. Again, you want to find that joy, it's going to have to be God. So choose well. You can love anyone or anything, just not above God. 
And when we elevate any of these things to the highest place in our hearts, we've gone too far. We're sinning. You say, Pastor, how do I know the difference? How do I know if I'm doing this? How do I know if I'm crossing the line, worshiping something that I shouldn't? Or even how to worship God properly? Well, I'll answer that in just a moment. But first, why does it matter? I definitely want you to get this. And if you're writing notes, please write this down. It's so important. Why does this even matter? Because whatever you worship, you imitate. Did you ever think of that? Whatever you worship, you imitate. And whatever you imitate, you become. You become. I don't believe that, Pastor. Come on. That's ridiculous. I mean, take recording artists, for example. I mean, they wear their pants, so their boxers are showing halfway down or all the way to their knees. They ran against all authority and trash women and God and any real relationships. They promote drugs and alcohol. It's not like young people today who listen to them are doing any of these things. Oh, wait. They are. Why? I, I know this is hard, and probably if you're below the age of 20, you're, you're thinking I'm full of it, but please, just give it an honest look for once. Who are you imitating? Why do you dress the way you do? Why are your styles the way they are? It's a reflection of what you delight in. It's a reflection of what you worship. It's a reflection of what you imitate. It may be a reflection of what you have become. I'm just saying. Just being honest. Let that one sink in. Let me give you a quick worship quiz and we'll be done. Some of you are going, you're not done yet. This is average if you're visiting. This is, I'm, I'm looking. I'm on average pace here. Only two criteria in all of Scripture for worship. Did you know that? When I talk to people, you'd think there were hundreds. I think it's got to be hymns. I think it has to be fast. I think it's got to be slow. I think it's got to be loud. I think it's got to be low. No. There's only two criteria in all of Scripture. Here is the first one. You must worship in spirit. Some of you are going, what does that mean? We'll get to that. Let's go back to the Samaritan woman we were talking about. Remember earlier when I was talking about her? God doesn't require ornate or elaborate expressions of worship. The worship he's looking for is spiritual and true, genuine, authentic worship from the heart. That's how Jesus once put it to the Samaritan woman that he ran into who was drawing water from the well. She starts this conversation about, you know, we worship God, you worship God uh, in Jerusalem, the Jews do, but we worship him over here in Samaria. Who's right? Who's correct? She's trying to get in a theological discussion with God. And once again, Jesus looks right in her soul and says, it's not, it's not about where or what or how. He said, you, you've got it wrong. It's not who's right, the Samaritans or the Jews. John 4, 24, where he's talking to her, he said, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit. That's the first thing. And in truth. Do you want to know the only two criteria in the entire Bible for worship? You worship them in spirit and in truth. So, remember when you raise your hand if you're over 50, you don't have to do it again. But when you say to young people, man, they got all that loud music going and sometimes they're slamming into each other and they call that worship, that ain't worship. How do you know? How do you know that's not worship? It might be worship to them. And they're looking at you and, and you're singing hymns and you're a little bit stiff, but you're crying and you're singing slow, old songs, and they're looking at you going, that's not worship because that's 200 years ago. How can that be worship? Young person, how do you know? How do you know that's not worship? If the young person or the older person is worshiping in spirit and truth, I'm going to tell you that is worship. That is worship. That's all there is. That's the only criteria in the Bible. The kind of worshipers God's looking for are those who worship Him as their Father in spirit and in truth. 
So in spirit is obviously from the heart. But what is this truth thing? Real quickly, I'll just say that. you got to worship what's true. you got to worship Jesus as the Son of God. Him is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to the Father. The truth. If you're worshiping the frog prince or frog god or the snake god or a Buddha or, or Islam, if you're worshiping, that's not the truth. Those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So you can't pick any religion you want and worship because you're not worshiping truth. That's not true worship then. Might as well worship Britney Spears or Lady Gaga or something. You can put your heart into it, but that's not true. And I know they teach in universities and all that truth is relative and truth is whatever you make it and whatever feels good to you, but that's not true. It may feel good, but it's not true. Good place to begin and end. Most of my life, gang, I thought that you went to church for worshiping. I'm going to let that sink in. Most of my life I thought that. Why do you go to church? Go to church for worshiping. But now I see a far better approach. A far better approach is to go worshiping to church. Did you, did you catch that? You go to church for worshiping, right? No, you go worshiping to church. It's far better. I'm about, I worship all week long. I love the Lord. Now I'm going to go and give Him my praise. I'm not going to go and see if I feel right. I'm not going to go and get the praise. I'm not going to go and see what I can receive. But if you go to give to the Heavenly Father, guess what the greatest benefit is to you? You will receive. That stuff that you want from worship, you'll get if you give first. If you go to worship God, He'll fill you up. I feel sorry for myself and for some of you who come and, and all the conditions aren't right for worship. I'm not singing. I'm not into it. It's too loud. It's too soft. Just once. Try to say, I'm not going to do any of that. I don't care what it's like or who it is today. I'm just going to tell God how great He is. I'm just going to give today. I guarantee you will not walk out of any worship service feeling I, I, I. I guarantee you, you will feel filled up. And if that's been missing a long time in your life, try changing that approach. Just once, try changing it. One more thing, and then I promise you we are done, and it's a short thing. True worship requires gratitude. That is a part of true worship. Worship in the spirit and in truth. Part of true worship is gratitude. You give. You're not, if you come selfishly, then you are not <laughs> true. <laughs> Welcome to Impact. Then you are not true in your worship. Worship comes from a grateful heart. Worship comes from a heart boiling over with generosity. Most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he withheld no? For God so loved the world that he trimmed off a few leftovers, right? No, God so loved the world he gave, and he gave that, which means, so that's part of it. You know, when my kids were little and they got a gift, their tendency was the same as your kids, so don't make fun of mine. Their tendency was to grab that gift and run into the corner and unwrap it and go, wow, and then go, if it's a remote control car, Nathan's five years old, he's off playing with it, right? We had to teach them, just like you did over a period of time. When you unwrap that thing, well, first of all, read the card first. That's not a throwaway part of the wrapping. Read that, and it will indicate who the giver was, and then you go thank them and appreciate what they did because they didn't have to for you. They got it reversed. When they unwrap and they run away, that's what we do when we come to church. We've already unwrapped stuff, and we're like, God, this week you were good to me. This week you weren't. So I'm going to stand there, and you better deliver. It's It's over. 
you realize that? Worship is already over with that attitude before it ever started. And some of you, sometimes I know you come on. The, I've been in ministry for over 25 years. Sometimes you, I know you're evaluating me. I couldn't worship last week. Why not? Pastor Rob was just off. He was just, I don't know where he was going with that. Well, let me ask you, where were you going? Where were you coming from? When I was 16 years old, I was so fired up for God, but I lived in Maryland, and there were no churches where I, within an hour drive that preached the Word of God. So I went to this place called Upper Crossroads. I will never forget it because the average age was 120. And there was only like 60 people in this church, and I'm, I drove myself. My parents didn't go. They had, nobody wanted to go to church. I went, but they did preach the Word. The pastor was like 78. I'm not, I, I was probably, but I was 16. And guess what? You know what? And I'm, I'm not kidding. This. And you're probably not even going to believe it, but I'm serious. I loved it. I opened up the Bible, and he would teach. And as I look back now, and people would say every week, why do you go there? The guy is a tranquilizer. You know, I mean, he's going to, I never got sleepy. I opened up the Word of God. All week long, I'm devouring the Word of God. I just loved it. I opened it up, and this guy starts teaching. I thought he was great. Why? Because he was preaching the truth from the Word of God. Not very well. Not very skilled, but I came to worship at 16. I came to give God. I came to tell God how great he was and to learn how much greater he was than I even thought. And so I went away having received quite a bit. I wish I could say I've always been on that track, but I haven't. And gang, let me tell you, in this five-week series that we're doing that we're kicking off here, this is going to be the simplest one by far. It's now going to get more and more complicated. I'm going to try and keep it as simple as I can. You might be looking at today and go, we started DNA? Whoa, 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 that's it? Yes. That's it because if you don't get this right, again, that's going to be game over. So we've got to get this right. We've got to center our lives here on this. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your spirit being here, Lord. Thank you for your anointing on this place. And, and God... As I said, you know, you've put it on my heart. The last thing we need is another church, Lord, but we do need a movement. We need a movement of your Holy Spirit, Lord. We need a movement of you in our hearts, God. That's what will change the world, Lord, not raising up more buildings. Father, it's raising up more believers who are sold out, who live with you at the center of their lives. That's so easy to say, God, so hard to do. Teach us, though, Lord, as you say in James, the book of James, not just to be hearers of your words each week, but to go out and do it, to be doers too. Go with us, Father. Fill us up with your love and help us to give it back to you as the only one worthy of our praise and glory. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. Happy New Year. See you next week.